This episode of the Belong Podcast is brought to you by SARS-CoV-2, formerly known as Novel Coronavirus 219-NCoV, or the COVID, as in COVID-19, a new virus that was first recognized in December of 219. Genetic sequencing of the virus suggests that it is a beta coronavirus closely linked to the SARS virus. Coronaviruses are a large family of viruses. Some can infect animals and some can infect humans. The World Health Organization, or the WHO, declared COVID-19 a global pandemic in March of 220. We continue to be reminded to follow public health precautions such as staying home when unwell, physical distancing, hand hygiene, respiratory etiquette, wearing masks when in closed indoor spaces, regularly cleaning and disinfecting common surfaces, self-monitoring for symptoms. COVID-19 is a virus good enough to infect an American president, but not good enough to infect a Canadian prime minister. And now, episode one of season two. Welcome to season two of the Belong Podcast. I'm really excited to be able to say that there is a season two and I can't wait to get back at it. Well, it's hard to sum up the last few months, I'd say, with one nice clean sentence like, like the weather was great or it was a bit dry and the farmers weren't happy or like I got to ride my bike a lot or those Americans always up to something or just COVID is an asshole because that's kind of how we're all feeling at this point. Well, all I know is that COVID is still a thing and more importantly that we humans still have a lot to learn, like how not to be fearful of someone who doesn't look or believe like you, or just how to be more accepting of all people, you know, the basics. Well, if I were to try and sum up all the upheavals and societal tectonic shifts of late, a few words do come to mind, like understand, educate, empathize, and change. And what's awesome about all those words is that they are great ideas which can lead to a lot of good action. So I'm launching season two of the Belong Podcast with those ideas in mind. Understand, educate, empathize, and change. So let's get at it. Well, for the first few episodes, I'll be chatting with some pretty incredible people. I've reached out to some friends and acquaintances who have stories to tell about their sexuality, gender, and identity. My first guest is Jay Glant. I first met Jay when I was directing the Vagina Monologues and Jay was cast as one of the monologuers. He was quiet and observant and intelligent and I knew I just liked him right away. Well, Jay is a transgender person who, for the past several years, has overcome more than his fair share. Resilient and open-hearted, Jay has become an advocate in the LGBTQ community on PEI and beyond. Here is my chat with Jay. Well, hello, Jay. Welcome to the Belong Podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Well, did you know that you are the first guest of season two? Oh, I did not know that. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very special place for you. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Jay, one of the things uh, that I think most people do not understand about transgender people is what it really feels like to be in the wrong body or in the wrong mind or identity. And is that your experience? And 
Like, is that what it felt for you? And and if it did, what did that feel like? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. And I think it's really important to realize that for um, individuals who identify as trans or non-binary or somewhere along that spectrum, um, their experiences can be quite different from one another and how they choose to go about uh, that as well. Uh, for myself, I guess I can explain it more as when I was from a very young age, uh, just felt really kind of disconnected from the gender norms that were being kind of um, put on me as a young kid. I kind of was a stereotypical tomboy. I played with preferred boys' toys and clothing. Uh, I'd get really frustrated if someone tried to make me wear a dress, like for church or for pictures. Um, <laughs> I remember really getting upset because my, my older brother was in Boy Scouts, and I couldn't wait till I was old enough to get into it. And my parents didn't really have the heart to tell me <laughs> that I couldn't go because at that time uh, in the 80s, uh, girls weren't allowed to join Boy Scouts. That's right. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And then when I was told, well, I could go to Girl Scouts, go to Brownies, I didn't want to have anything to do with that, especially with having to wear a dress and all that kind of went along with it. It's um, true. Yeah. There were, there were skirts. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right from a young age, there was this um, frustration that I felt. Um, and when I was really young, it wasn't much of an issue because at home, being around a close family members and friends, I, I was free to dress and act the way I wanted to. It wasn't until I started going to school and I started getting kind of picked on and bullied and feeling that pressure to conform to those kind of gender stereotypes mm -hmm. that I really started to feel like, oh, there's at that age, I thought there was something wrong with me. Not so much something's wrong with society and the world, but something wrong with me. Yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned the word tomboy, and I wondered if you were going to bring that up because it's something that I strongly identify with too as a child, um, gotcha. and even even still, um, you know, I I will often say to people like I am still a tomboy at heart, yes. um, and I thought I would just check on that word because I wasn't sure. I, I always the word always I was kind of proud of it when I was a kid. Yes. Um, cause it meant that I was probably strong or like just as competitive as you guys, yeah, you know? Totally. Um, but it, apparently it has quite an interesting background and it comes from a time when women, uh, were precious and protected and it almost traces back to a, a time in, um, um, American history and Victorian history when, racism was the norm okay. <laughs> and and so there was this idea that if you encouraged white women to be tougher then it would help to protect them and maintain like their identity as a white strong person oh oh wow bizarre yeah, yeah. And, and I'm probably not getting that 100% right but it it has an interesting background but regardless and I don't mean to derail this whole talk about the word tomboy but but I've I've always been interested in that in that idea and that term because yeah. it was something that I used a lot and still do yes yeah um and and it also then leads me to ask so when um, cause I had a friend when I was a child, we were both tomboys and we did tomboy things together. Yes. At what point do you remember then that not being just kind of your identity as a tomboy and that there was something else? Like, was there an age? Was it, was it adolescence or puberty? And, and then kind of, how does that 
how does that play in your mind as, yeah. as a child? Oh, yeah. And, and even trying to think back, um, especially at a time growing up when transgender wasn't something that was ever talked about. I had no idea right. what it was. I didn't have the language, right? So I right. didn't really have, could conceptualize really what was happening with me. Um, and I think there was always this kind of like uh, feeling like when I was little, I remember having dreams about being male and then waking up and being really disappointed. Um, but oh. yeah, <laughs> but kind of like when you have dreams and, 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 you know, you're, you're, a, you're, um, uh, an astronaut <laughs> and you wake up, right. and you're but a little kind yeah. of deeper than that, a little more um, uh, yeah. closer yeah. to my identity, but definitely, um, when I hit puberty and I started developing breasts and hips and kind of fat mm. distribution started, that was a fairly traumatic experience for me. And for a lot of, um, trans non-binary gender queer people as well. Um, mm -hmm especially at a time in the 90s, uh, early 90s, mid 90s, when, um, again, I didn't know what transgender was. So I just thought this was my fate. Um, and consciously, and I, I grew up in a pretty religious Catholic family. Um, I was kind of taught um, not the great messages about about sexuality and, and gender um, mm -hmm. in terms of, of being gay. And I, I did definitely knew what gay was, but it wasn't something that um, something that was talked about positively. Um, and I, from an, even before, I guess, puberty, I started having kind of feelings towards um, uh, women, uh, girls, um, and felt a lot of shame about that. Um, so it kind of compounded because sexuality and gender, they're separate things for sure, but they can certainly be intertwined. And for me, it was kind of happening around the same time where my body was changing and I was feeling a stronger attracting to women. I felt so much shame about it. Um, but I just repressed a lot of it. And the way it came out, as it often does, for me, it was um, the end of junior high and then my first year of high school was anorexia. Um, pretty severe and hospitalized many times and, and very um, nearly lost my life because of it. Um, but it was a way for me to control my body, even though I didn't know what was happening. Uh, I didn't develop my kind of slow down my breast development, slow down hormones. So I wasn't feeling attracted to really anyone at that time. Um, just and, and fat definitely distribution there wasn't very much fat at all so it kind of was a way that I was controlling it without really knowing why I was doing it um and also uh, I think in response to the a lot of the shame that I felt and feeling out of control about my body I was a, a really driven perfectionist as well like in school and sports I was extremely driven and anorexia is kind of perfectionism and anorexia kind of go hand in hand as well so it kind of Looking back, it certainly made sense why I was struggling with those. Oh, sure, yeah. sure. It's it's an amazing, powerful thing when you aren't conscious of why it is you're you're physically going through what you're going through, and yet, you know, your 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 body kind of takes over. It seems, and yeah, and sure. and all of a sudden, you know, you're controlling it without even knowing why. Exactly. Yeah. And it's definitely yeah. something that's that's known in, in the medical community that individuals who are trans are at very high risk for eating disorders uh, and for mental health struggles in general. Um, not that by any means is trans or any gender identity itself a mental illness, but the effects of having that in a society that is not accepting and not having access to supports that you need. The effect on your mental health, of course, is, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really I mean, as you use the word shame and, and then talk about, you know, being brought up in a religious 
home, um, just just that alone can can really influence uh, someone's well being mentally and physically. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then, of course, we learned that all of a sudden now um, there's some good news on the Pope front. I just seen that quickly. I had class this <laughs> afternoon, but about the same sex unions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, wow, thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. There's, there's been some interesting, uh, interesting responses online about, yeah, we don't really care what you think because you didn't, you haven't cared. So yeah. um, anyways, that's, that's another, another thing for another day, but, uh, but yeah, definitely those layers of shame um, really, uh, unfortunately and sadly can can just be so negative for somebody that's like in the middle of developing and becoming who you are um so then you were in high school and going through that and being in and out of the hospital was there was there something that helped you break that uh well it wasn't until uh my early 20s I was seeing a therapist at the time who just happened to kind of be a little more in tune to what was going on with me and she broached the question about my sexuality um, and wondered if I'd ever questioned it and such. And it was actually the first time someone had asked me about that because I had actually been dating a guy in high school, like a high school sweethearts, and we had been dating for three years. And um, yeah, and and it's funny because we weren't really sexually active or really that intimate at all. And he always thought it was because I was Catholic. <laughs> but it turns out <laughs> it wasn't the reason. <laughs> Well, kind of it was though, True. because <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Did play a part in something a yeah. little bit. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, so it wasn't ever really looked at until she had asked me about it, and because we had already built a relationship and I felt comfortable with her, my experience, like going to school, I had a junior high health teacher who taught an entire class and drew these graphic diagrams about why it was morally, spiritually, even uh, biologically wrong to be gay. And she drew no. like, to a point. So that was my like experience with that. A teacher did that in junior high? In junior high. So yeah, in, in the 90s. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't seem, that seems not right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, of course it's not right, but yeah. the timing of that, like in my, I can see that when I was in junior high school in the 70s, because... I don't even think the word gay was a thing in Moncton. Like, (laughs) of course there were gay people, but I'm not, my goodness. Like, can you imagine educating children? But um, really, wow. Yeah. And it was, she was a teacher that, again, because I was a perfectionist, someone I looked up to and was trying to please. And then having this class really, because around that time, I would have been starting to have attractions towards other girls. And so that really like, the shame just and then I was being bullied a lot too and 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 physically abused and beat up and I started believing that I deserved it right so I deserved to be treated that way so it it was something when I it really took a lot for me to feel comfortable to finally talk about this with someone because I had felt so much fear and shame um, but because we had had built that relationship um, she asked me about it and she suggested I might want to check out at that time it was AIDS PEI now it's Peers Alliance had a, a youth drop-in for uh, 2SLGBTQ. And uh, she suggested I check it out. And it was like once a month, I think it was. Um, and it was just downtown close to where I live. So the first month I went, but just walked right by. 
<laughs> and, uh, but the next month, I very fortunately went in and uh, it was oh, just cool. such an uh, accepting, open, supportive environment. That was when I finally started dealing with my sexuality. Now, my gender identity, it wouldn't have been until 10 years later that I started coming to terms with that. Um, so that was kind of the first step um, towards the. And am I right by saying that, well, you had mentioned at the very beginning that everyone's path is so different yes. yeah. and when it comes to sexuality, gender and identity. And so for you though, it was about coming out as gay yeah. and then looking at your gender. Is that kind of more common in, would you say, than kind of the other way around or do they like, what's your experience with your peers about that? Yeah, that's a good question. And I wonder too, the way it happened with me, it was also kind of a product of the times as well in which it happened because, oh, yeah. because nowadays I wonder if a youth might, it might not happen with that much of a split uh, because trans awareness is so much more, like we're, we're much more aware of trans experience now and you see it more in media and reflected in television and stories and, 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 uh, I mean, we still have a long ways to go, but there seems to be generally more acceptance and the language, right? Because even, even coming out or as gay, I still didn't really understand what transgender was. And um, to even think about myself that way, right? Like I figured I'm just a really butch lesbian because that was kind of the language I was learning in the environment where I was. Um, but there was always this sense of that doesn't quite fit. Like there's still something that doesn't quite fit, right? And and uh, I ended up uh, being hospitalized in a treatment center in Guelph, Ontario, um, specifically for people with eating disorders. Um, and so I, d- I knew I struggled with, which is very common with, with people who struggle with eating disorders, seeing my body differently than it really appears, like a, a body dysmorphia kind of thing. Um, and I just assumed I was just like everyone else who had an eating disorder. Um, and there is this kind of, it was optional. We didn't have to do it, but part of the treatment is we could have ourselves videotaped, um, with just like our underwear on and, and bra. And then we would meet with the, the care team. So there would be like a, a therapist and a occupational therapist, a, a doctor, a, a team that we've been working with, a nurse, um, that would sit with us and talk to us about how we feel about our bodies. And I went through this exercise completely expecting I was going to see myself as bigger than I really am, just the typical thing. What I wasn't ready for was when I saw my body saying, that's not my body, (laughs) that gender dysphoria, which is that feeling that it's not all trans or non-binary people go through it, but but many do, um, of feeling this real strong disconnect with their, specifically the gendered parts of their body. And that is when it just it just struck me like a like a like a truck like it was and I I didn't know what to do with it I was just scared uh and the only thing I'd really known or seen really about trans experience was watching (laughs) boys don't cry which was a horrible (laughs) thing for someone like me to see that as trans representation right so I was just terrified. And so I didn't really say much about it until a little bit later, I did reach out to a therapist. And unfortunately, her response was, I don't, this is not real. It's part of your illness. Um, You probably need to change your medication was basically her response to it. So unfortunately, that kind of put me back in the trans closet for another while. So that that played a part in why it took me so long to come out as trans too, because unfortunately, that experience I had did kind of stuff that back down again yeah for sure so 
So then living for 10 years as an out gay woman, yeah. knowing that something clicked at one point about your body. Yes. Um, so then understanding and wanting to explore that, not being able to for various reasons, is there something that you felt that, okay, I'm out as a lesbian woman, yeah, which means I'm attracted to women. But if I am thinking about my gender as a male, does that mean that I'm a heterosexual male? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, was there a point that you felt that way? Like, did you start to feel before you even were able to really face it? Was there feelings of, of feeling like a heterosexual male? Um, that's a really good question. I don't think I ever felt totally male, um, if that makes sense. Um, and, and gender and sexuality, like even how we determine what a person's sexuality is based on the gender of the person they're attracted to, it's a itself kind of problematic, right? When it comes to um, putting people into categories and having to slot them based on something that seems kind of inconsequential, such as who they're attracted to. And especially now when we have a more expanded, a better understanding of how gender isn't this binary thing, but quite a bit more diverse than that. Um, but definitely those were the kind of questions because that was the kind of concepts I, I had as well about gender at the time, that it was a very binary thing. Um, and what I've come to learn definitely, and, and through my own experience, like for example, now I, I don't consider myself, um, I, I consider myself a, um, pansexual, so attracted to all kinds of gender identities. Um, but that that really didn't kind of, it wasn't something I could really deal with until I started dealing more with my identity. So so the, so the being even attracted to someone, and I did, of course, um, date people and was in relationships, but um, it was hard to really be fully in my body and really experiencing. I was more going through the motions, if that makes sense. I was kind of like, I think I fit the category of lesbian. This is what lesbians do. This is what I'm going to do. But even not just in my gender, but in my sexuality too, there was a disconnect, I think. Um, so it's kind of like looking at, and, and it's hard because in society, we are so conditioned to look at people in these categories and try to slot them in. Yeah. But we don't look yeah. at the whole person really when we're doing that, right? And we don't look yeah. at how gender and, di and, and sexuality are such dynamic, complex things that are kind of, for some people, could be quite fluid and quite, they just defy binaries and um, all this kind yeah. of, Stuff, yeah right it's fascinating um, it really it, is absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure yeah um it it brings me to this <laughs> you know when uh you see people who are expecting a child they'll have these gender reveal parties yes yeah and then like oh it's there's pink balloons or there's blue balloons and, and it's like yeah that's kind of presumptuous uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so I get why you want to celebrate you you're gonna have a baby that's great but I'm I'm still a little perplexed as to why revealing someone's gender as when they're a child is so important absolutely and when that's really not anyone's call at that point like yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, but, but it is again like it's it's that kind of society we live in, and especially in a society that's 
very much based around consumerism and selling products, you know, and having these strict gender binaries is really convenient for selling people mm -hmm. things like you could go to Shoppers Drug Mart and get like a trail mix specifically for men <laughs> and women. <laughs> and it just baffles like why or, or like pen, like the famous big pens where they had one specifically yeah. for women. Uh, this yeah. idea of like seriously cashing in on these binaries that yeah, in that's reality, a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, that is marketing and, but I mean, wouldn't it be cool if just everything was purple or, you know, yeah. whatever, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we're getting there. I'm not sure. But uh, the last time I was into, um, it was either Cabela's or, or Bass Pro. They had um, pink camouflage and pink guns. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just for the for that make sure that that girl is That's out right. hunting you know whatever. and not that a guy would want possibly pink camo and pink guns right right exactly <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. it's true so jay then if we could just kind of revisit back a little bit about the process for you um in your 20s uh you said there was 10 years of yes. really that in-between stage of of coming to terms with with looking at your gender then you know where was the door how did that door open for you well it was I'm, I'm a very um methodical person <laughs> I, I I have like an academic brain I, I love to research things I want to know exactly how something works even if I'm buying a computer or something like that I, it takes me months because I want to really go to a deep dive so when it come, came to something like this, when I started kind of looking at gender again, and it really started happening because I was in a relationship with someone and being intimate with them was really causing struggles. And she was really helpful to help me kind of start questioning that. And maybe she's like, oh, maybe you want to look more into this. And and it, <laughs> again, because when I was, I mean, that would have been nine years ago. So I, there was starting to be more awareness of trans experience and it was starting to be less pathologized, more accepted. Um, so I was... It, Again, like it was, it was kind of a combination between my own development, but also what was going on in society around me. But I started looking at it again. But again, I was like, I want to read everything there is about it. I want to know 100% what I want to do before I do anything. Um, so I started seeing a, a psychiatrist who was kind of known to help trans patients and start kind of talking about it. Um, but even with her, I was really kind of slow going and like, I don't want to make any choices yet. I want to really... I think in my mind, I really had to be 100% sure before I'd make a choice. Um, but the problem is that there's no way to really be 100% sure about something like gender. It's just not as black and white as I think even I thought it was. Um, so I really kind of question, am I, am I not? Um, and what that means, because at that time, I really believed if I was trans, it meant that I had to be uh, 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 a boy trapped in a girl's body my whole life. I had to go from point A to where I am now to one gender and completely transition to the other. I have to live the other life. And at that time, there were actually protocols where you had to live as a so-called opposite gender for a year before you, they would do anything. So it was only, that was only starting to change. And thank God that's not the case because to think about how a person would have to try to pretend they're in the so-called other gender and what kind of what a bizarre uh, how approach. Much, yeah, and, and what that would do in terms of their safety and their mental Jeez. health. Like, really. It's, and, like it's, it's not organic farming. It's gender. Like, yeah. you know. And it, <laughs> it goes back to this really 
unfortunate model of trans being kind of a, a medical issue and something where trans itself is an identity, but a space that a person's in because there's something wrong, like a disease state, and the cure is transition, right? That was that was started in the 1950s. That was by an endocrinologist who first started using the term transsexual, and it was an awful like. You had to you had to prove that not only could you pass as the other gender, but you were attractive in the other gender. You couldn't talk to other transsexuals because that might influence you. You had to completely assimilate and disappear. You had to cut off if you had children, if you had loved ones. You had to completely cut off your life and become another person, basically. Um, so that it isn't the, wasn't that extreme then, but those that idea that you were that very binary notion of gender. You start as female, then you become male and you assimilate, that was still being used even 10 years ago, right? Um, so understandably, I was kind of uncomfortable with that. Um, and it, luckily, like I, when I first went to my first uh, endocrinologist appointment, I was so relieved to hear, even starting HRT, she's like, you know, it's not a, 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 a beginning and end period. Some people go on HRT their whole life. Some people do it for a year and stop. Some people go on a very low dose. Um, yeah, so with HRT, uh, it's something that I'd done a lot of research on. It was kind of going back and forth if it's something I want to do. Uh, but when I was diagnosed with the um, genetic, uh, uh, rare genetic uh, connective tissue disorder um, and was told that they were kind of uncertain about my quality of life, like how much it could progress, how bad things could get, I could be bedridden, um, things, bad things could happen, it caused me to reflect on my life and think, wow, like... I have these limitations now. How do I live the best life I can live? And that's when I decided, you know what? I've been living for so long, really at a lot of discomfort with my body. Um, things are kind of shitty now, or things are kind of crummy now with, with my health. What can I do to, um, to try to make my quality of life a little better? And so I, that's when I decided, you know what? My, my quality of life is, is too important to be kind of back and forth on this. I just need to go ahead and do it. And see how things go. And, and having that explanation that you don't have to go all in, you can just try it and see if it fits. Um, with HRT, there are a couple of months where if you take it and stop it, there's no long-term consequences. After that, there's some things like facial hair, things like that will, will be a little more permanent. So that you have a grace period um, where I could just kind of see how I felt. And for me personally, I like once I started, I was like, yeah, this, this feels right. <laughs> um, cool. I want to keep going with this. Yeah. Right on. So then how long, how long does, does it usually, like, does somebody usually do HRT? Um, yeah. So for many people, they, they do stay on it, um, their entire lives. Um, oh, but, okay. but for some people, they, they just go on in a short period of time and it depends. Like, um, for myself, like personally with the changes that have happened to my body, I probably would have stopped except for the fact that it turns out testosterone actually helps some of the symptoms that I get from my genetic disorder, like low blood pressure, oh. weakness. So it's actually one of the most therapeutic drugs I've used for the genetic disorder. And there's been studies that have come out recently about that. Um, oh. So I've been oh. staying on it <laughs> more for that. Yeah. Uh, because I am, unfortunately, and that's just genetics, I am going bald. <laughs> like I have male pattern baldness happening. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So some people choose to stop once that starts. Um, but um, because some things like, like facial hair, um, voice changes, uh, they tend to be um, permanent um, fat dis distribution that will change back somewhat um, after you stop. Um, but many of the changes after being on it for so long, they stick around even if you stop. Yeah.
some people don't are, are trans and identify as such, but never go through any kind of transition, and that's perfectly valid. This notion that in order to be in order to have your identity validated, you have to go through surgical medical procedures um, is unfortunately it was something that was, has been done, but they are getting away from that more. Like it used to be in order to change your gender marker on your vital statistics, like on your birth certificate, you had to prove you had to have two doctors signed off that you had surgery. And that was only, and I was part of the fight about having that changed um, on the form that that's no longer there. Um, but it was, the thought that someone would ever be pressured into undergoing a medical, a permanent medical procedure just to be validated in their gender is a pretty barbaric. Um, that is, yeah. Emotion. But and so did that was that rooted in some some kind of psychological kind of test that you know if if they passed all of this that they would definitely um, were that that gender like where what where did that come from well honestly i think a lot of it comes from and if you look at the history of it this discomfort that we have with ideas of gender and sexuality being this straightforward binary system where so much of our society is built around those things that the thought that maybe that's not the case that gender isn't that black and white um risks destabilizing things it, it makes people uncomfortable right so if you talk about trans, it's okay to be trans as long as you're still within that safety of the binary, right? You're not destabilizing our notions of gender and like you're talking about the gender reveal parties and the problems that we have with why we think certain genders have to act a certain way and how many people, both men and women, does that affect? Um, so it was a safer thing to do. It, it kind of, it kind of, um, it, there's a certain comfort with it, I guess. So when it came in the beginnings, like I said, in the 1950s, when that kind of started, that it was important to keep our gender notions in, within a binary. It was important to keep those things intact, right? Um, and in terms of rights recognition, like fighting for, for rights, unfortunately, that became an important thing as well um, in order to be recognized and to have rights such as human rights, such as having rights to access to surgeries and stuff like that. Um, the cost is that people are excluded from that. There's so many people within the trans and non-binary community who don't neatly fit within these gender binaries. So where do they fall? Where are their rights? Where are their medical access, right? Um, and we are moving, I think, in the right direction, but it's still a fight. And I think it's so important for people to recognize too when it comes, because there are these kind of popular trans narratives, right? And myself, and when I've had my story told by media, there was this real pressure to fit within that kind of that sob story, basically of a of a of a, um, a boy trapped in a girl's body and showing the pictures and how I've changed and stuff like that, like that narrative can be. And, and of course, there's some individuals where that's that's very much reflective of their experience. But there's so many people, and I would say myself too, included, um, because I never like, and you had asked me that, like I don't think I ever felt like I was necessarily male. I just knew I wasn't female, right? I knew that wasn't fitting, and. Um, and myself, like I had a lot of issues, like I said, with my breasts and, and my hips and stuff. When I eventually went through and, and had top surgery, um, in terms of how I felt about my body, was like night and day for me. Like it was a huge relief. I hadn't even realized how much of a burden that was causing me until I'd had the surgery and then was like, wow, that was like, oh, that's great. Really affecting me, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, um, and I mean, I could, I could go on and on about the whole, like, 
why it's still set up like that so much of a, of yeah. a binary but yeah. but certainly it, it, it has to do with with um with society coming to terms with these gender binaries and realizing that that's just not the way gender is, right? And then making space for that and, and allowing, for example, kids to play with whatever toys they want to or whatever colors they want to wear and um, without being pressured into being a certain way or acting a certain way, like boys being shamed because they're too emotional or or or, or um, doing what's stereotypically kind of female things and, and, and vice versa. Like it's uh, it affects not just the trans community, but everybody. <laughs> yeah, and I think all of the efforts and and people sharing their experiences and and shedding fear and facing things has been just a, a wonderful growth in society you see i mean i see parents doing things differently with their kids doing things in a different way uh, boys not being so rigidly raised in 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 that way and the same with with girls and just more freedom for for expression and acceptance really absolutely um, yeah i mean i know that it's it's still there's still still so much work to do absolutely. um yeah. and and as you say the fight the fight is there and that's great so then how how are you doing now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no yeah. um yeah it, it's definitely been a journey and something i'm in terms of my own identity, uh, it's something I'm learning about all the time um, and questioning and re-questioning. Um, like I, I talked about how like I, I think deeply about things. Like I, I was a philosophy major. That's kind of questioning stuff is kind of part of, of my DNA, I guess. Um, myself, the, what kind of pushed me to finally start the process of transition was actually being diagnosed with a um, rare genetic disorder that's quite disabling. Um, had health problems for many years, um, a number of different health problems. They couldn't quite figure out why they were happening until uh, a geneticist um, put it together. Um, and it is, uh, there's no effective treatments. It's a pretty rare disorder. Um, there just hasn't been enough studies done, but um, it has seriously caught, uh, changed the, the trajectory of my life, I guess. Like I said, I was very much a perfectionist, had my eyes on going into medicine, um, but because of my health have had to really make a lot of changes. And, um, so I, I am a person now living with a disability, um, which has its own challenges too, when you're also gender diverse and, and, and disabled as it's, um, especially when it comes to accessing healthcare services and such, when some things aren't covered and how you can afford it. And a lot of trans people, uh, non-binary and just minorities in general tend to be tend to not have the money to, to be able to afford these things because they tend to have more economic hardship. Um, so for myself, it's been um, kind of navigating both the, the world as a disabled person and as a, uh, a gender diverse person um, has been um, definitely challenging, but also illuminating, I guess, in terms of it, it's really caused me to look at things and not take things for granted that I might have before, such as health um, such as what's really important in life, um, like the problems with looking at a person in terms of how productive they are in society as a value of that person as a human being, right? Like how many things in our society are really built around economic productivity and what that does to people who aren't able to do that. Uh, like for myself, I'm, I do a lot of advocacy work, um, but a lot of that is volunteer, right? So in terms of economic productivity, I wouldn't really be considered a very productive person. Um, 
being on social assistance on disability and the kind of um, prejudice and things that I've come across um, because of that. Um, and the same with being gender diverse as well. Things like gender, things like spaces, um, going to a place that has, now I'm in kind of a privileged position where I, I so-called pass as, as male. Um, so when I go to the bathroom, I don't, there's never really an issue. Before that, bathrooms were scary places, even as an adult, um, where I'd be yelled at or grabbed. I was once grabbed and pulled out of the bathroom, um, assuming that I didn't belong there. Um, so the world and how it's gendered and how spaces are policed, these are things I don't think I would have really become aware of if it wasn't for the experiences that I've had. So I find it like, even though it's been difficult, at the same time, it's also been very enlightening. Yeah. Well, and I think there's probably a pretty, pretty big group of people out there um, who have benefited from your advocacy and from, you know, your willingness to share your experiences and, and uh, be public about, about your struggles and about your triumphs and, and all of that. So that's how I see you too, is somebody who's just super strong and, and able to able to get out there and and be a face for a lot of people that just just can't right now and uh so good on you i've been really fortunate um to have a really great support system like my family's quite supportive friends um advocacy groups that really helped me to be in a position where i can um can can do that can can be vocal can assert can fight uh, knowing that i have support as opposed yeah. to someone who might not have those kind of support systems where it would be very dangerous for them to kind of speak out and be visible for sure. Yeah. Well, listen, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to sit and chat. Oh, my um, pleasure. <laughs> I'm looking forward to running into you at the Sobies again. I yes. Think the <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the last time I saw you. I think so. so yeah. 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 Oh, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of anything since then, no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, listen, you have yourself uh, a great rest of COVID time. Thanks, you uh, too. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we'll see you at the Sobies. Sounds great. See you there. All right, thanks. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you to Jay Gallant for sharing stories of your journey and for all you do for our community. And thank you for listening. I hope you belong right here with us next week. Hopefully by then, America will belong.